After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! It's the middle of September, the crisp of fall is in the air for a number of areas. We're thinking of those that are feeling the effects of some very nasty climate right now. But it's that time of year where you get excited about the start of a new NHL season. Oh, sorry, Josh. This is this is the script for, I think, what will probably be a December podcast. I'm sorry to throw you off like that. No, no worries. That's exactly what you would have been saying this time of year. It's just not the type of year we're having this year. 2020 is throwing the whole book out the window, much like the officials with the rule book in the playoffs. Oh, very good tie-in. This is, of course, the Scouting the Refs podcast, powered by Team Stripes. He's Josh, I'm Todd, and you should go to teamstripes.com, go teamstripes.com, and check out the website for Team Stripes for officiating equipment, apparel, and much more. And yes, we will talk about playoff officiating. We will talk about conversations between officials and players. Controversial calls, yes or no. And should voting be altered for some NHL awards? Follow us on our social media channels to check out Josh. It's at Scouting the Refs, of course, on Twitter and Instagram. To follow me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. I was hoping that we would be able to talk about the officials for the Stanley Cup final. But lo and behold, the Islanders have won again and prolonged that series with Tampa. So it's going to be the weekend at least before the Stanley Cup finals get going. Yes, they've delayed the plans. They've they've put that off. So the officials get to work another day or a couple more days, depending on, on what their fate is and what the outcome of the series is. But soon enough, Todd, we will be cutting that down to just the Stanley Cup final officials. So uh, a yeah. big, big cut coming up. I was really hoping that Tampa would win the other night, mostly because that game was so difficult to watch at times. It was it was plodding. It was not one of the better games that we have experienced in the bubbles. No, it's it's been a ton of great hockey. Yeah. That was not some of the great hockey. At, at one point, there were more icings in the game than there were Islanders shots on goal. So I, I'd say that's not a stat I'm very proud of. <laughs> that's, that's not the sign of a good game, no. is it? More icings than shots on goal. It does make me think, though, because we, we have often discussed in the rules about killing penalties and whether or not you should be allowed to ice the puck. Should you be allowed a maximum number of icing the pucks before a penalty is altered, is uh, imposed, rather? That's, that's an interesting take. I mean, it, it would dramatically change hockey. It would dramatically slow things down as players adapted to it. You know, maybe... Maybe you give them a free pass, uh, let them ice it once, but the second time you ice it without getting past center, you're you're getting a penalty. I don't know. I I I understand wanting to cut down on icings, uh, but man, if you think 16 icings in that game was unbearable, try 16 penalties as a result. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would. Well, you'd think that might deter, but any anyway, it's 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 another thing to uh, to consider. I did mention as well that I want to talk about conversations and one that was occurring between Steve Kazari in Game 5 of the Dallas-Vegas series, which came to a conclusion. It was during a break in action. I believe it was Alex Radulov of the Dallas Stars that 
He went over to the bench to see him. He was squawking a little bit about a call or a non-call, but Kazari showed him a lot of consideration and going over and listening to his point of view and then explaining his. I don't think that gets mentioned enough. I know we have a couple of times, but there's so much good communication that occurs between players and officials out on the ice with what's happening. That was a great example. Absolutely. It definitely gets overlooked. I'm happy that the NHL shares some of these mic'd up videos that we see during the postseason to shine a little bit of light on that or or to capture those moments because there, there really is a lot going on and you'll find that I, I know players and coaches get frustrated with the officials but more often than not you want to give a guy a chance you want to hear him out you know assuming he's not blowing you up and and, and freaking out about a call but you want to let him say his piece and, and you want to give him feedback on hey here's what you could have done differently here's what the issue was here's you know why I didn't call that but why I'm going to call it next time so it, it is an ongoing dialogue and I think you do miss out on that, especially when you don't always see what happens before the arm goes up for the penalty. And and it's those types of discussions that I think really set the expectation for players. Sure, there's an education process that goes on both ways for for the officials and for for the players as well, I think. And and I think that helps make the game better. It it certainly does. You you can't have that that change of expectations. You don't want to have somebody blindsided by, hey, you know, it was okay when this happened before, or you didn't tell me what was going on, or you don't want to blindside a guy with a penalty. I mean, obviously everybody knows what the rule book is, but when you see things creeping up to where you're going to make a call, sometimes you want to take that time and, and either hear a guy out for what happened on a play or give him some feedback to let him know that, look, you know, I, I let this go. This was a borderline. Next time I'm going to call it. Or, you know, we even see it when the officials will take, you know, one guy aside during a scrum and they'll play four on four for a little while, send two guys to the box. And I, I heard uh, referee Francis Sharon advising one of the benches hey you know this is my warning right we're going four on four right now next time i'm only taking one guy yep so the implication being don't let it be your guy and clean things up out there earlier in that dallas vegas series in game three you posted the video of alex tuck with what was described as a slew foot on tyler sagan i watched it I don't know. I've I've seen it a few times. Would you? I would almost call this a borderline slew foot. It seems like they were the two players were kind of grappling a little bit. I'm not sure that this is what Tuck intended to do, but Sagan wound up going back down on the ice. And I guess I'm saying I could I could see both ways why it would have been and why it wasn't called. Right. It's it's a tough one to call, especially when you're in in the middle of the action there and you've got the goal there. Obviously. The officials were pretty well positioned to see the play and see what happened, and there was no penalty, also no supplemental discipline, which would lead you to believe that the league supports the no call on the play. You've got contact, you've got skates moving, sticks moving, and there's a lot of times when you've got body contact that isn't intended to be a slew foot, or your skates get tangled up and you know, you're know you're trying to keep your balance, or you're trying to maybe give the guy a shove or an elbow, and you knock him backwards, and it's, like you mentioned, Todd, not necessarily an intentional play. Certainly, we've seen those slew foots where it is clearly an intentional play. The guy comes yes. up from behind, kicks him out, elbows him back, and, and there's nothing good coming out of that. There's no attempt to position yourself to play the puck. There's no battle to get positioning along the boards, which in Tuck's case is, is maybe a little more arguable because he really was jockeying for position there. So I get it. Uh, I, I absolutely understand where they're coming from. The flip is I'd love to see them come down harder on those obvious slew foots or when we do see one that it, you know it looks like the guy was out hunting come down harder on those and i think maybe that'll help with those situations like this one where perhaps it wasn't intentional perhaps it was just guys coming together there and uh, the the good news is though at least there was no injury on the play because that's always the scary thing when you've got a guy 
going backwards with his head hitting the ice, as is often the case with a slew foot. Yeah, you definitely don't want to see that. I want to come back to the Dallas-Vegas series in a couple of seconds, but I do want to jump over and talk about Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders as well. Earlier in the series, Tyler Johnson tipped in a puck from the front of the net. Play was reviewed, and it was viewed as a good goal. Clearly, the NHL officials and those in the review office are looking to see if the stick makes contact with the puck above the crossbar. This is the obvious. Now, a little bit of education, if you will. As a referee, as a video review expert in the in the league office, as you are trying to assess this, how do you... How do you gain perspective, if you will? I'm asking because camera angles are different. It's it's difficult to see exactly where the puck makes contact with the stick, where you're standing, if you're out on the ice as an official, where you're viewing the play makes a difference in terms of your perspective. It can be deceiving. So help us understand how they try to determine whether it's a legal tip of the puck with uh, without going above the crossbar. Now, there's there's no perfect solution, at least not yet on this one, Todd, because as you mentioned, everything comes down to the camera angles that you're looking at. The best view for making that call is probably the on-ice officials. You figure they're, they're out there on the ice. They've got a direct line of sight for the net. The guys are between, you know, five and a half, six feet tall. So even your eyes are pretty pretty close when it comes to where they're aligned with the crossbar versus cameras that are mounted high up, mounted in the stands or in the seats, as is currently the case. You've got those angles at play, and it does make it difficult to really draw a line between where the puck contacted the stick and the crossbar on a goal. So you're looking for those landmarks. You're looking for points of relevance. You're looking for how tall a guy is and where the puck and the stick are relative to him, to the goaltender, to, to anything that you can use to kind of anchor a, a physical position on the ice with a vertical height. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's it's something that it's really, these guys have, have done it. They study it. They watch. But you can't really get better at it. You can't, you can, you can't really improve that skill set other than watching it, making the best interpretation possible. And, and I think over time you do improve. There's no real way to get better. There's no perfect system. There isn't. Uh, it's, it's, the eyes of the officials, it's the eyes of the review team, it's the angles that are presented to them, and they're making the best call that they can. And I think they do a really good job of it. We mm-hmm. probably had a few that are borderline where you can't quite tell, or, or I don't want to say it's it's hard to determine, but it, it may come back inconclusive, and the call may revert to the call on the ice. Or right. someone may feel that it is conclusive, but it's really hard to tell. And, you know, those are the types of calls that these guys have to make. They are informed. They've got as much information as possible. But as of right now, it's it comes down to the eyes, at least until puck tracking. Ah, you mean the millions that have been spent on player and puck tracking to know exactly where a player and puck is on the ice at any given second, measured multiple times and multiple methods to determine exact speed and location. You mean we could use that to determine whether a goal was legal or not? <laughs> that is precisely what we can do <laughs> and I, i'm i'm glad that the league is rolling out player tracking and i, I know it's it's kind of a soft rollout and, and the stats and the details and the data will, will hopefully get more and more advanced but to use it for the broadcast is one thing i'm waiting for it to be used for the actual game because there's so much potential to be able to have the precise height of when that puck changes direction to show that it was deflected and you would know definitively 
it was either above or below the crossbar. Same thing with pucks crossing the goal line. Same thing with the precise moment the puck entered the zone to trigger what may or may not be an offside. All those things. Hey, I'll even put it out there for puck over glass. We'll know if it was deflected off the glass or if it oh went boy. straight out. But let's use this technology for good. And and we can. And, and one day, hopefully those will be no-brainers. Now, the trade-off is you still can't do it at all the lower levels leading up to the NHL. But no, at the NHL course. level, that, that puck tracking could be... Uh, you know, a godsend when it comes to some of those definitive rules like stick height on a goal. Well, soft rollout is one expression. Downright flaccid is how it's looked on the broadcast. <laughs> it's been it's been pretty lame because, oh, here's the players on the ice. Well, we know that there's there's far more that could be done. But we'll save that for uh, for another day. And we will get to the puck over glass in just a second. But I also have to ask you, closing your hand on the puck in the crease is a penalty. Yes, no? Indeed, yes. In the crease, okay. you are your your penalty shot right there. So grabbing, dropping, and or sliding the puck, is this where we start to get into a bit of a gray area? And yes, I'm referring to the Ryan Pulak incident where many thought there should have been some sort of punishment, but you disagree. I, I do. Yeah, things things definitely get muddy when we get more into the judgment call side of things of how you closed your hand or how long or or what you did on the play. And, and there are times it's a penalty, undoubtedly, and there are times that it's not. And on this play, I, I think Pulak was in the right there to not be called for this one. He blocks a shot, the puck falls to the ice, and he two-hand scoops it, pushes it between his legs to clear it behind the net. From the one angle, it, I initially thought he was covering the puck. When you see it from the reverse, he never put his glove over the puck on the ice to stop it or or to block it. He did block the the defend or the attacking player from making a play on it, but it was all in one motion as he pushed it between his legs. To keep the puck moving in the defensive zone with your glove, more or less, that's a hand pass, and that's legal right. in this situation. Now, had he smothered the puck, had he put his hand on it, stopped its movement, and and collapsed on it or turtled on it, well, now we're looking at a penalty. If he grabs the puck and throws it in a direction rather than pushing it on the ice, we're potentially looking at a penalty. In this case, what he did appeared to be legal. I know it was frustrating. I know, it, especially, like I said, from that front angle, I, I mm-hmm. initially thought he was covering the puck and went, what are you doing? But it uh, it, it did look like he, he blocks it. It falls to the ice. He uses both gloves, which doesn't help from a visual standpoint because it right. re- really looks like he's just smashing <laughs> it down there. But he kept the puck moving, and I think with the official positioned right behind him who didn't blow the whistle as time ran out, I think that's the basis for the non-call on that play. So he shielded the puck, but he did not cover the puck. Would that right. be and, a be- better way? I think that, that possibly, you know, even even that to a certain extent. It was it was the, the momentary nature of the shielding. If he were covering it to block and, and trying to use his body to prevent the guy from making a play, you're looking at a penalty there. We've, we've seen instances where that was the case. This time, it was really just a swipe. And yes, his gloves did block it, but I think his intent was pushing the puck between his legs, not to shield the puck from the defensive player. Okay, so there's a little bit of interpretation that's needed there. Absolutely, and and it's it's a tough one with this call. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Now, the area that does not require any interpretation is the puck over glass rule, which of course reared its head once again because of the, the significant occurrence that happened in the Dallas and Vegas series. And over time, Zach Whitecloud swats the puck with Andrew Cogliano bearing down on him. It winds up going over the glass and it's an automatic penalty. 
Now, regrettably for Vegas and Vegas fans, Dennis Gurionov scores in the power play, and what happens, of course, is everyone feels sorry for White Cloud and says that this rule is grossly punitive. It should be changed immediately because a young player shouldn't have to live with this kind of mental trauma. Okay, I'm exaggerating a bit, but my, but that's how most of the posting went on social media and in the mainstream media, quite frankly. It's always a penalty. It is the easiest call or one of them in the rule book to make. There is no interpretation. It is or it isn't. And isn't this what fans crave? Because there is no decision to make. It goes over the glass. It's not touched. It's a penalty. And if you start interpreting, well, then everybody has kittens about it. It's when it comes down to you, do we want it to be a judgment call? Do we want it to be an automatic penalty? And then fans complain that the judgment calls aren't getting called. Yeah. And, and you know, frankly, I think that is the issue with the puck over glass penalty. It, it is because it's really the only automatic penalty we see. It's the only one that doesn't get dismissed or called a little bit more loosely when it comes to overtime. So mm. when we get to the extra session and you've got penalties not being called because, well, maybe it's, it's even up or there's no distinct advantage or there was nothing dangerous on the play, you'll let it go. Well, you can't let puck over glass go. So no. you take a penalty that makes up 3% of the penalty calls in the regular season, 3% of the penalty calls in regulation playoff games, and now that jumps up to 21% of overtime penalties are because of puck over glass. So I think it's because it's automatic – it can't be called more lightly. And I think that's what illustrates people's frustration with the rule. It's, it's not as huge a deal when it's blended in with all the other penalties. But when, sure. uh, when penalty calls drop significantly in overtime and that one comes up, even, even I'm on the couch going, oh, no, here we go. But it's, right. it, it's no, a straight rule. It's, it is the right call. That's an excellent illustration, though, is because it, it has a far greater impact in, in overtime and potentially a far greater impact because it's, it's called on a much higher percentage than it is during the rest of the season. Right. And, and I think when we go back to judgment, it's really difficult for an official to judge a player's intent. And I think that's part yeah. of why the rule was designed the way it is. I, if, uh, yeah, because it used to be interpreted and that it was changed to an automatic. Right. And, and if you're going to change this rule in any way, and I'm not saying you have to, I'd rather see it be a, a repeated penalty instead of something that becomes a judgment call, unless you see an obvious and intentional one, which you can still call that one. But I'd rather see them, I don't know, give you one free pass for puck over glass and then call it the rest of the time or, or, or something like that to, to change the nature of it. Because I think going back to it as the judgment call, just you may as well just take it out of the rule book. Right. Yeah. And. Oh, that would that would be a, a whole other thing. Uh, one other item we want to get to on this week's edition of the Scudding the Refs podcast brought to you by Team Stripes. Check them out online. Go teamstripes.com. It is award season. We are in the midst of it. No, I do not mean the CMA awards that were just handed out, the Emmy awards that are coming up, but the NHL awards. We've had a number of them announced over the past week. There is no postseason show in Vegas this year, of course. And one of the awards announced was the Lady Bing Trophy, which was given to Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche, a fine choice. One of the finalists for this award was Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And after the announcement, there were a number of people that questioned his worthiness. Now, his on-ice performance fits the description. The player judged to have exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct combined with a high standard of playing ability. That certainly fits with Austin Matthews. The question, though, should 
off-ice behavior impact the voting, and specifically with Matthews, was involved in a late-night incident involving a security guard at 2 a.m. in Arizona, where he and several friends decided to sneak up on her and open the door to see what kind of reaction they would get. He was charged. The charges were eventually dismissed. But it does bring up a good question is, should we consider the greater picture for this award and honestly for other NHL awards? That's it's an interesting take. You know, I, I think this is even a further along the same lines of, you know, what are the what do the officials have to say about this and, and what's their mm-hmm. input? But then what is this player if we're looking at gentlemanly conduct? Do we want to see what they were doing off the ice? I mean, isn't with everything going on now, don't we want to look at the total character of the person and really understand if this person would be deserving of, of being deemed gentlemanly? I think it's a great discussion. Yes. And seeing some of the feedback, especially from some of the writers and more importantly, the voters who actually put their votes in uh, for Austin Matthews for this award. Interesting to see that that some admitted that they were focused purely on 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 ice and penalty minutes and point totals. Others shared that it really made them rethink their voting strategy. And of course, you can't change your vote for this year. This one's done. But going forward to really try to think of the complete player there for this particular award. And I, I think that's an interesting take on it. And personally... I think it's the right one. You know, I think when we're looking at a person who's a gentlemanly player, it, it, you shouldn't just constrain that to what's happening on the ice, but you, you really want to find that person who is that way all the time in, in all their interactions and, and recognize them. Maybe they don't score quite as many points, but maybe they're the right person to get this award. And maybe the officials can help you determine who that is. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Thinking in the broader picture is a, is a good idea. Now, those that voted for Austin Matthews, we understand according to the letter and the qualifications, they were voting right along the lines. And it makes sense. That's not a, the wrong thing to do per se. This is just a discussion point and it makes sense. And yes, others did suggest that maybe they would reconsider. I too think that having NHL referees vote and, and linesmen vote for players for the Lady Bing Trophy would be a, a positive step as well. But I'm I'm amazed that you got pushback on this. Yeah, some some folks thought it might impact the officials' ability to make a call or or how they would run the game, which to me you can really compartmentalize that, right? You've you've got the game, you're calling the plays. I don't think it's running through an official's head on hmm, I voted for that guy for Lady Bing last year. Maybe I won't call this penalty on him. Oh, I just, come on. Uh, I don't see that as, as something, or I don't want to hurt his chances at the Lady Bing trophy this year, so I'm not going to call a penalty. I just, I don't see that happening. I mean, the officials, and we've said it before, they're professionals, they're the best hockey referees and linesmen in the world that are working in the National Hockey League. As far as personal biases and things like that, I, I, I really don't see that coming into play when it comes to this individual voting of an award type situation and yes there are certain players that you watch for because you you know their tendencies on the ice or you want to be more aware of who's out there and things like that so you are certainly aware of specific players but I, i really don't see that coming into play if they were able to be given the opportunity to vote for say the lady bing trophy I certainly don't see that officials would have any more bias than the media members that currently vote for the award. So if and if you think that's the case, then I think you're very naive. I, I, I think it would be a positive. I think it would it would give a more accurate an accurate voting of, of who should win that award. Plus, I, I like that it gives the officials some input into the awards process. You know, it's, sure. let's, let's be inclusive and, and give them a voice. I don't want the officials to be involved in all the awards voting, but I think when it comes to Lady Bing, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
We'll see which officials are involved in the Stanley Cup final on next week's podcast as we will mark one year of this podcast. It's hard to believe that it's gone by this quickly. Well, wow. One one year and we still haven't hit the Stanley Cup final yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that says a lot about us or about the uh, the, about the pace of play, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Stanley Cup final, whichever teams are in there. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com.